Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thank you so much, Tiro and Volko, Yuan. Really appreciate you guys. And it's so good just to be here on a Sunday morning. David writes, and I love his words when he says, I would rather spend one day in God's courts than a thousand outside. And no other place that we would rather be than with the people of God, singing the praises of God. We're carrying on with a a series that we've been doing for the last month or so is we've been looking at this idea of godliness. We've been looking at what it means to be godly, what is godliness, and, and what would be some of God's standard for godliness. How do we grow in godliness? We started um, looking at the life of Samson, and we saw that he was this guy who is incredibly gifted. Just as an aside, this morning I love that we have a team busy ministering in the Malupo area, up way in the north of the country, near the Botswana border. We have a team ministering in the inner city, and just people all over just stepping out for the gospel. God is beginning to release on us just a, a freedom to go. I remember a, a couple of years ago when um, we were at a, a healthy group of students amongst others. I remember sitting with our, our new missions leader at the time before Yaku came. He was still in London at the time, and we put out a faith goal, and that year we reached it, that we that year wanted to send 200 people on missions teams. And 200 people that year stepped out, and I'm trusting God just for a, a reawakening of that heart in every one of us. A couple of weeks ago, our kids' church stepped out, and a whole bunch of you joined them, and they went and served at Live Village just for a day. Just the little, I think the eldest on the team was probably my daughter, or Abigail, who's 12, 13 years old. It's Abby, no, 12. Alf, 11-year-olds going, and obviously some parents driving them there and set up the sound equipment and stuff for them, but just the kids just being willing to reach out. As we head into 2023, I know God is going to release in us an ability not only to go across continents, but to go across corridors again for His kingdom, to reach the friends, the colleagues, the family members, the classmates, to begin to step out and just to bring the truth of the gospel in love, in grace, and in power. And maybe just as a, as a back end, I think that's one of the reasons why God is just having us slow down for a while and talk about godliness. I think one of the questions that we need to wrestle in our heart is if, if God was to reproduce us as believers, what would be being reproduced? What would be being reproduced if our lives are reproduced into those in whom we invest, those we lead to Christ, those we disciple, for those whom we are the example of what Christian life looks like. God comes and He writes in a, in a different context, but sort of the same principle just before the Israelites go to war. And He'd often slow down and He'd say, sanctify yourself. In other words, make yourself holy, set yourself apart, because tomorrow God will do great things among you. And I have a stirring in my heart that God is calling us to that place of taking a moment and saying, sanctify yourself because I'm about to do great things among you. I'm about to release among you 
a new grace to step out for the nations, for the city, for our communities. And with that as a, as a background, I think God is wanting to have us take a moment and slow down around something which is so dear to his heart, and it's this idea of godliness. We saw in the life of Samson, he was incredibly gifted. He was called. Jesus himself had appeared to Samson's mom to say that this kid is going to be a special one. He was highly favored. We saw at one stage he's in the desert and he's thirsty, and he's like, God, I'm thirsty. Am I going to die here? And God answers his prayer and just, boom, out of the sand springs forth a well and water for Samson to drink. God, Samson prays outrageous prayers, and God hears them and answers them. He was a judge of the people of Israel. He had position. He had title. He had authority. He had all the ingredients that we typically would think would make for success in this world. Calling, giftedness, favor, title, and position. Yet one day, you still read what I've said a couple of weeks ago, I think is probably the saddest verse in all of Scripture around Samson in, um, in where, we Sam, where we Samson, sorry, Judges 16, verse 20. Samson, the, this lady that he's been just sleeping with, and she's, he's allowed her just to tempt and tempt and tempt him continually. And he wakes up, and she says to him, the Philistines have come to capture you. And when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. And here was Samson who in the natural had everything in place, but yet still found himself outside of the will of God. And so we started looking at that. Don't have time to recap all of those stories. I'd encourage you, if you missed any of them, you can go on the podcast and you can catch up perhaps a little bit on these sessions. But we saw and we started speaking about that what makes and breaks success in life is not so much only our competency, it's not only our busyness, our activity, our work ethic, our CV, our giftedness, but it's our character. There's a beautiful passage in, I think it's in Proverbs, it says, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. I remember in Bible school many years ago, the lecturer quoted that verse at us, and he said, but then it's still the same you standing in front of those great men. Yes, your gift makes room for you and brings you before great men, but what man are you going to be standing before those great men? If you stand before the king, before the president, before the boss of your organization, before a significant leader, what is it that God has shaped and fashioned and formed? within you. I said that in my years of ministry and doing marriage counseling, 99% of the time when people come, firstly, they come too late when there's a marital issue, you stopped around that a little bit. I said, get help early. You don't have to wait until the car's at the bottom, a complete wreck. The moment you realize, oh, we might have a little bit of a flat wheel here, stop, slow down, and find someone to speak to, who can speak into that, who can help you grow, so that you don't land up at the bottom of the cliff. But most of the time when couples arrive, not only have they arrived too late, but when we do speak to them, it's not a marital issue. It's a character issue. The character issues normally in both of the partners. There are things in our hearts, in our lives, that we have not been able to address. I spoke about my friend who 
when we were doing some staffing a few years ago, he said that in this company they'd made a policy decision not to staff according to CVs anymore. Obviously, a CV to an extent is important. You need a base level qualification, etc., an ability. But as a company, they just realize that they can train competency. It's much harder for them to train character. That if they find people of character, they will employ people with character because what they find is at that stage, they were hiring people based on their CV but firing them based on their character. And so they said, well, why don't you start hiring based on character? So we start looking at this idea of character and in a Christian context, a specific type of character, which is called godliness. See, we all have character, just like we all have manners. Some of us have good manners and some of us have bad manners. Some of us have good character, some of us have bad character. We speak about an absence of character sometimes, but in doing that, what we're actually saying is an absence of good character. And this character in a Christian sense that we are looking for is this word godliness. We spoke about the fact that godliness is first and foremost rooted in devotion. It starts in an attitude of surrender before God. But then godliness is the action that flows out of that devotion. We say that devotion is, sorry, godliness is devotion in action. Another way of looking at, devo- at godliness, it's not only when our, mou- when our actions line up with our mouths and our words, it's when our actions line up with our heart. And so the key to godliness is not in doing more and ticking the boxes and getting it right. The key is first having our heart that is surrendered before God. Some of you may have read the book Mere Christianity of C.S. Lewis, and in there he gives a simple example. He says, how do I, what do I do if I, I know I want to love God, but I don't love God yet? I'm growing in my love for God, and C.S. Lewis gives such a simple answer. He says, well, act as if you love Him fully already. If you know your heart isn't quite there, but you want it to be there, then do what would be the right thing to do in that circumstance anyway? And as you do that, you learn to love, and the devotion becomes real. It's like when we're in love, going out with that guy, with that lady in that first stage. It's so easy. All of our conversation is about finding out in a healthy, godly pursuit relationship. It's all about finding more about the person. And as I find out more about the person, then it's I want to do what pleases the person. And so we go for a milkshake the first time, or we go for a coffee, or you go for a pizza, and you have the conversation, and you find out she likes, she enjoys, and guess what you do the next time you come together? You find a way to do what you think she enjoys. And that's such a beautiful picture of true godliness. In godliness, obviously, the object of our affection and our devotion is God, and so our actions that are pleasing to God is our devotion, is our godliness. There are a number of ways in which when I'm just recapping, this is also a recap of the, the last couple of weeks, and we've been working this through in our small groups. We looked at two passages, specifically in Titus and in Timothy, where he gives a list of what church leaders should be. It's interesting, he never gives us a list of what they should do, 
of what they should do, but he does give us a couple of lists of who they should be and who they should be as examples. They should be patient and reverent, blameless, above reproach, depending on the translations we use. We get these words coming through. They shouldn't be arrogant, quick-tempered. What are some others here? Must be upright, must be holy, must be faithful in their marriage, must live devout and disciplined lives, have self-control, not greedy, love having people in their home, must be hospitable. And these are all traits which God put down, puts down as these are things that are pleasing to Him, that we should aspire to and desire to have established in our lives. And so once we had a look at that competency and giftedness and all of those things, perhaps we're not a measure of success, perhaps in God's eyes a greater measure of success because this is what He holds before church leaders is godliness. Had a look at what are some of those aspects, what are some of the elements of godliness. We took some time and we stood still around 1 Timothy chapter 6, which says, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And so we've spent some time over the last week or two, even in our small groups, thinking about how do we train toward godliness. We spent some time talking about getting a good coach. We saw that we have the grace of God who has appeared to train us in godliness, Scripture says. Do a fitness test. Evaluate where we are ourselves and have some people around us evaluate what it means to be godly and where we are in our own godliness. Develop a training program that every one of our training programs are probably going to look different because we're training for different things. There are different parts of our lives that we need to train. And those four are, well, those three bits are hard in themselves, but they're the easy bit. The hard bit is the working at it. It's easy to go to the coach, to go to the fitness trainer, to do the fitness test, have them work out a fitness plan or training program for us. That's the easy bit. The hard bit is continually waking up every morning at 5 o'clock to go for that run, to get on the bike, to go through the process, to adjust my diet, to make those long-term changes. That's the hard bit. And we started speaking about in our small groups, what could this training program look like for me? What are some of the things that the Holy Spirit is stirring in my heart for me to do, to continue to do? And then we said one of the ways to make that a little bit easier is to find a gym buddy. Not to train alone, but to have someone, an encourager alongside, who's also committed to your growth, but to their growth. And together we urge one another on. I was reminded this week of that beautiful scripture which says, that we should not neglect the coming together of the saints. But every time we do that, we should stir ourselves up towards love and good works. With a reminder again that work speaks about godliness. Godliness is the works we do that is pleasing to God. And so as we're stirring ourselves up towards love and good works, we're stirring ourselves up in godliness. And then we say we should pay the members fee. That all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It won't always, it won't 
always be easy. It won't always be hard. Just, and this is hard for me to do, to wake up in the morning, to pay attention to these things, to pray into these, to make these life changes. But from the outside, other people are going to make it hard. They're going to laugh and point fingers at us, at you. They're going to say, what are you doing? That's so foolish. That's so silly. We will suffer persecution if we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. And so all of that is still a back, just a, a catch-up, a recap of, of where we were. For today, I want us to read First Peter chapter 1. And I think I, I do realize my sincere apologies. I know last or previous week, there were a couple of incorrect references in my slides. I do apologize. All of those passages, I promise you, are in Scripture. I just have the wrong references for them. And as I'm reading this now, suddenly I realize this might actually be Second Peter and not First Peter. But this letter is, so we're going to spend time reading the first 15 verses of First Peter. Or is it Second Peter? I'm confusing myself. Is there someone who can just quickly confuse? I'm conf confused. Sorry, my words are... It's the end of the year, my word is up. Is it Second Peter? Okay, it is Second Peter, so my apologies for that typo there. So this is Simon Peter. We remember him as being the disciple who'd been with Jesus. Probably Jesus had, he's the guy that Jesus had worked on the most, if I can put it that way. We do read in Scripture that there was a disciple who Jesus loved, who was most likely John. And then there was a disciple who was the leader amongst that initial group of 11 when Jesus left, and that was Peter. So this is this Peter who's writing this right at the end of his life. We'll see that he says that in these verses as well. And so we're going to read these verses, first 15 verses of Second Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to interrupt myself from time to time and pop across to some other passages just to expand, and then we'll come back to Second Peter so this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and the fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and in Jesus our Lord. And that is our prayer, that we would not only would have more grace and peace, but that we would continue to grow in our knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. That's a, a translation. Many of the other more word-for-word -word translations would say, God has given us everything we need for godliness. And so as much as on the one hand there is this idea of we need a training program and we'll see this coming through in this passage again, we need to engage with God's work of godliness in our lives. There is also the truth that He has given us everything that we need for godliness. He has given us everything. We have received all of this by coming to know Him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption 
caused by human desires. Paul, Peter here is taking time to say to us, and Paul actually expands on this in a, a lot. He says in Galatians, amongst others, he says that if we walk according to the flesh, if we walk according to our own desires, there are a whole bunch of actions that flow. But then there is the power of the Spirit, the human nature, the divine nature, as Peter calls it here, that we get to receive. And when we receive the divine nature, suddenly everything changes. In our talking with some of our people, some of you guys, in these last few weeks, as we've been talking about godliness, one of the conversations that I've heard pop up from time to time a little bit is, I was just born this way. I was made this way. This is just the way I am. I'm an angry person or an impatient person, an immoral person. I'm, I'm greedy. This is just something that's always, that's part of my identity. It's, part, it's always been here and it will always be there. What I want to come and hold before you this morning is that is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, it is there. Yes, perhaps you were born that way. But isn't that exactly the grace, that that is why Christ died? Look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols, who commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. A different way of phrasing that is those who are ungodly, those who do actions that are not pleasing to God will not inherit the kingdom of God. And often we stop there and we feel all bad because that's who I am. I practice these things and I don't know how to step out of it. But look at the beauty here in verse 11. Some of you were once like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that the power of the gospel, that though we once were sinners in Christ, we have become new creations? And so what I want to hold before you this morning is those areas in your life that as of the last couple of weeks you've been thinking about this idea of godliness in the back of your mind has been, I'm never going to overcome this. This is always going to be there. I'm always no, I'm always going to fall short. I'm always going to fail. I want to invite you anew to the grace of God, which says that such were some of you. But you aren't anymore because you called on the name of Jesus. I love how it says that you were made right with God. You were made right with God. In other words, you were made right in the eyes of God. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so there is a dynamic that we can step into, that we can tap into to say, God, I'm so struggling with these lustful issues and these ideas. I'm struggling with this greed. I'm struggling with this addiction. I'm struggling with the stuff that gets hold of me. God, I can't seem to get away from it. And there's something that the gospel teaches us that as many as call on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
that we can call on the name of Jesus. By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God, that same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead now lives within you, Scripture tells us. So surely He will give life to your mortal flesh, the life of the Spirit. Too many of us for too long, we allow the devil to lie to us, to tell us that there is no victory, there is no overcoming, there is no transformation, there is no change. I want to hold before you that I believe if we take those texts as an example in Titus and Timothy and Galatians and a number of other places where it tells us this is what a godly life looks like. There is no reason under the blood of Jesus and in the cross of Christ why as you are sitting here cannot meet every single one of us. We sang earlier, you are perfect in all of your ways. Jesus is. Peter also tells us that God says, be perfect as I am perfect. Obviously, that's not an invitation or an expectation for us to be perfect in our own strength, in our own ability, but it's an expectation to allow Him to work perfection in us. I was speaking to somebody in this week, and they were talking about just the challenges that they're going through, the heart, just the realities, you know, counted all joy when you call into various trials fall into various trials. Who knows those, that passage? Right? Isn't that a crazy passage? I remember like 15 years ago, Sarah Ann was still in the service, if I'm not mistaken. I was there preaching. She was, a, I think, probably just a first or second year student. And I remember using this example. The next time you crash your car, hopefully, which is never, but if you do, you're in this moment. What is your reaction? Do you count it all joy? Do I find a way to step out of there and say, thank you, Jesus, that I get to go through this trial? When that bill arrives that's hard for us to pay, what is my response? Is it thank you, Jesus, God, when I fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience? And they were sharing with me the other day about falling into these various trials, and it's hard, and it's struggling, and they're wrestling through these, and I'm saying it's beautiful, let's wrestle through them. But can you do me one favor as well? Can you read the next verse for me? So they open up their Bible and they read the next verse. That the man of God may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, God has a desire. He has a dream. He has a call for you and me to step into being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You might not be there yet. I'm definitely not there yet. But I know that that is the invitation where God is calling us. And as He is speaking to us about godliness and holiness, I just have such an awareness that He's inviting us to relationship, to love with Him, to love Him more. And out of that love and devotion to Him, to reflect actions that are pleasing to Him more. I'm not seeing God looking at us. I'm going to use the backside of this flag with this, in Afrikaans, it's a lot. What is a, a lot? A cane of sorts. And he's sitting there with his cane, and he's just waiting to whack us every time we step out of line. No, that's ungodly. No, that's ungodly too. My dad had little one, ones about this long and about as thick as your thumb. And when we, one year we had to clean the gutters, and he got someone in to clean the gutters for our house. 
they were a cot, the cot sides. So you know, on a cot, it's about the height of a cot. He had the whole cot string, and that's what he would use to, when there was ungodly behavior in our lives. You know, foolishness is locked up in the heart of a child, you know, and the rod drove it far from us. And we found these from time to time because he'd hide them. And then he got someone to come and clean the gutters in our home. And that person took out about 15 of these rods. <laughs> that as we found them, we dropped them in the top of the roof in the gutters. That was the best way to get rid of them. But sometimes we come to God thinking that he has this whole cot waiting for us and all of these cot sides and just ungodliness. He just wants to drive it out of us. I sense God is saying to us that he doesn't want to drive it out of us with the rod. He wants to drive it out of us by the power of his love. And as we just draw near and near to Him, we love Him more. And we look at all of these ungodly things and we say, God, I don't want any brokenness and ungodliness in my life because I've seen you. What on earth? It's like when I've drunk that sweet water. Why would I continue drinking salty water? I want more and more of the sweet water. It's the power of the gospel is that we do not have to remain where we were. And for too long, some of us have bought that lie that says, this thing cannot change. This has become my identity. And what we need to understand that if it is not glorifying to Christ, it should not be your identity. You can step away from it. And you can allow the grace of God to transform and to change who you see because God does not see you the way that you see yourself. Such were some of you. Maybe some of us sitting here today, such are some of us. But the great news of Paul writes to the church in Corinth is we don't have to remain that way. We can be washed and cleansed. The blood of Jesus is more than sufficient. All we have to be is willing to allow God to change us. And that's uncomfortable. And that's hard. Because that means we have to put up our hand to say, God, I need to be changed. God, I, I am not right. My thinking is not right. My ways are not right. But I want to encourage every one of us that as we come to Scripture, there are a couple of things we can do. But one of the things that I would plead with us to do is as we come to Scripture, let us allow Scripture to set the standard of godliness in our lives. Let us allow Scripture to set the standard. And then let us allow the grace of the Holy Spirit to bring us up to that standard. Because we can come to the standard. It's like when you go to high jump. My daughter's a high jumper now, so I'm learning about high jump. You can come to high jump, and there's this rod that you want to jump over. And you can walk up to it and you say, oh, that's too high. I'm never going to jump over it. Can we put it lower? Or we can come to it and we can put the rod higher and say, well, keep it up there. I'm going to train to be able to clear the higher height. And I believe the Holy Spirit would be the coach to train us to clear the higher height. He doesn't want us to drop the standard because of our imperfection. He wants us to raise the standard because of His perfection. And so let's allow the Holy Spirit, let's allow the Holy Scripture to set the standard in our lives and in the Holy Spirit to allow us to meet it. Back to Second Peter in view of this, in view of this fact that 
He has given us, that He has enabled us to share in His divine nature in view of this. Let us make every effort to respond to God's promises in view of this gift that we have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Let us make every effort to respond well. Let us supplement or supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. We read this bit the other week. Moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. Self-control with patient endurance. Patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly love or brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. Let us learn to respond well to the gift God gives us. In our conversations, one of the things that I know we struggle with a little bit is this whole idea of self-control. Speaking to some of you, many of you, it's like, I really struggle with this idea of self-control. This is the one that is hard. I see it in my life. I see it as a father in my children's lives. I'm at pains over and over to teach them that self-control is in your hands. You cannot blame your sister for your actions. No matter how ungodly or unrighteous or wrong your sister was in the action, that should have absolutely no bearing on your actions if you are a self-controlled person. I wrote a definition here for self-control. It's the ability to take responsibility for your own actions. That's self-control. Self-control is when I realize that my actions are mine. Self-control is when I realize that no matter how badly my neighbor may wrong me, my response is my response. Once again, in, in our marriage counseling that we've done over the years, it is amazing how often the marital problem is the other spouse's mistake. When they, then I will. And they're both saying, that's a guess what, nobody is fixing anything because they're all waiting for the other one to fix it. Self-control says, whether they do or whether they don't, I will. I'm self-controlled. I'm, I'm self-disciplined. My circumstances, other people's behavior don't influence my behavior. My behavior is my behavior. It might hurt me what they're doing. It might offend me. I might be upset. But the response that I generate is from me. It's not from them. I want to encourage us with this around some passages. Proverbs has got many passages about being self-controlled. I like this one the most. Proverbs 25 verse 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. A person with no self-control is a city with broken down walls. And any of us who have watched any sort of historic movies or whatever, where cities still had walls around them, the moment the city wall has a breach and the city has fallen, it's open for every invader, for every person to come and kill and to steal and to destroy. There is a power around our own life if we develop self-control. But watch this good news again this morning. It's good news. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness. We will see many of these are the same things that Paul lists in Timothy and Titus as what is required for godliness. He says the Holy Spirit produces these things in our lives. And self-control. And self-control. You see, the Holy Spirit working in our lives produces self-control. So here's a great prayer. If you are struggling with self-control, don't pray for more self-control. Pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Spend more time in the Holy Spirit. Spend more time yielding to the Holy Spirit. As we walk according, the passage just before this says, if we walk according to the flesh, we will fulfill the lusts of the flesh. But if we live according to the Spirit, we will fulfill the desires of the Spirit. And this is the work of the Spirit. Self-control. Can I put this out here bluntly? As a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you have no excuse not to be self-controlled. We have no excuse to live anything other than self-control. Because that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Timothy takes us a step even further. He says, God has not given us a spirit of fear of timidity. No. He has instead given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Self-control, say some translations. Sound mind, says other translations. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you have received a spirit of self-control. And what we need to do is we need to banish the lie that says this is beyond my control. It is your actions are always completely within your control. I say this to my girls. They yell. These ghastly shrieks that young girls have hidden within them. It feels like it wakes up every nerve in my being, and the whole neighborhood. And then I go to them and I say, why did you scream? And their answer is, my sister. And then I stop, wait, explain, how does this work? Does your sister climb inside of your throat and fetch that scream and pull it out of your body? No, no, no. So how does your sister make you scream? She made me angry. Okay, so did your sister make you scream or did you? No, I scream. Developing self-control and understanding that's my action. But all of us love pointing the finger at someone else. Doesn't this start in Genesis chapter 2? Where is this, this fall of mankind? What's Adam's first answer when God says, God, oh God says to Adam, Adam, what have you done? Have you eaten from this tree you were not meant to eat? The woman. And then he goes to the woman and the, woman, the man. So born in everyone, I never taught my kids, and I don't think my wife taught them to blame shift. If she did, she did it when, they, when I wasn't there, when I'm not around. I doubt that she would have. No one ever taught my kids to blame shift. They are master blame shifters. It's never their fault. I guess I'm a master blame shifter too. As a Christian, I have to stop and stop blame shifting because that removes self-control. Self-control starts when I take responsibility for my own actions. We're almost finished carrying on with this letter because I want us to get this, these last few verses here are so important just in understanding Peter's writing his last letter probably that he ever writes. 
He says, the more you grow like this, what, is, what are we growing? We're growing in brotherly affection. We're growing in love. We're growing in self-control. We're growing in godliness, that God has given us everything we need for. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, for me, is pretty encouraging. Just do the, just keep the gift that He's got. I don't have to do it myself, my own strength. My, he has given me everything that pertains to life and godliness. If I embrace that, if I allow that to bring change and transformation within me, I will have a grand entrance into heaven one day. I can have this moment where I step into the presence of the living God with a smile on my face, perhaps, I don't know, maybe one angel, maybe a hundred angels, I don't know, or turn the attention, standing at attention in some way. There's this grand entrance because the king is on his throne and I wouldn't for a moment deal to, dare to steal any of his glory. But that king is inviting us into his presence. If we embrace and live for godliness. And then he carries on his, his last few verses for us this morning. Therefore, because of what I've just said, because you've got this gift from God who's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness, because as we grow in these things, we are not short-sighted, but becoming useful and purposeful for the master, and we will receive this grand entrance one day. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. It's interesting to me, we always look at the last words that someone speaks. We speak about Jesus' last words often. Paul's last words. His, ach, Peter, sorry. Peter, who spent more time on earth probably with... Let me try that again. Peter, who spent more time on earth with Jesus than anybody else, comes to the end of his life. He writes one last letter, and he says, Guys, if there's one thing I want you to remember... It's embrace godliness. And I'm going to say it so often in the little bit of time that I have left so that one day when I'm not here, you will never forget it. That every time you think of me, you will be reminded of Peter wanted us to live godly lives. He said these things over and over. He says this, so I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. So we're going to continue to press into this idea of godliness as a church. Trust God to shape and form because of our love and our devotion to draw nearer and nearer to Him and then to let our actions 
represent our hearts? To have our actions line up with our hearts. To say, my heart really loves Jesus. Because I really love Him, my actions follow. Pressing to grow more and more, to love more and more. And then to banish every lie that says we cannot do that. I am unable. You are able by the grace of God. The grace of God has appeared to you, we read a couple of weeks ago, training you in godliness. Let us embrace that grace. Let us embrace godliness. Let us cast aside everything that so easily ensnares us, especially the lies. And say, but I have received a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So tomorrow, I will live self-controlled. And to Tuesday morning when I wake up, I will live self-controlled today. And as we do that, we train ourselves in godliness. Can we stand? I'd love to pray for us all this morning. Jesus, you are so fantastically good, Lord God. You really are good, Lord. And we are so thankful that you call us to godliness, Lord, because you call us to relationship. You call us to love. You call us to knowing you. And so, God, before we even think about our actions and doing the right things, we just want to again bring our hearts before you, God. Say, God, we want our hearts completely devoted and surrendered to you. Come and capture our hearts, Lord God. Come and cause us to love you in ways that we did not know would ever be possible, Lord. We choose to love you. We love you, Lord. Choose to follow you, to know you. We want to grow in grace and in peace. We want to grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter even prayed for us, Lord. We want to grow in you. And as we do that, Lord, we want to grow in our godliness because it's important to you, Lord. We want to be useful for you, Lord God. We want to look towards that grand entrance that awaits us one day because you have given us everything that pertains to life and to godliness. You have given us, you have made us partakers of the divine nature, and so we receive that, Lord. We choose to live according to that. Maybe you hear this morning and there are things in your heart that you know that you have bought the lie that you aren't able, you're not strong enough, that it'll always be this way. It's part of your identity. It's part of who you are, but it's ungodly. I want to ask if that's you. In just a moment, I'm going to hand back over the band, and they can continue to minister to us, and some of us are going to go out and grab coffee, but I want to invite you, if that's you, step forward. We want to pray with you to break that lie of Satan in your life. Break the lie that your identity in Christ is anything other than wholly pleasing to Him. Because He has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And similarly, if you've been struggling with self-control, we want to pray with you for a new grace to step into the self-control that God works, that the Spirit works in you. You have received the Spirit of self-control. There's no reason why you can't demonstrate self-control in every facet of your life except for the devil who's lying to you. 
So as the others step out in a moment, I want to invite you to step forward. We would love to pray with you. And God, thank you that even this morning I can bless your people with a knowledge of you, God. A knowledge of grace and truth that in this week, Lord God, we will press and draw near to you. And that godliness would be the outflow of loving you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for your time. If you do need to go, you're obviously more than welcome to go. There's coffee and tea as always outside. Hang around, have some coffee and tea. But if you need prayer, I want to invite you to step forward. We want to pray with you. Pray that God will continue the great work that He has started, that He is able to complete because He has started it. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.org.